the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good afternoon. If you're listening on the radio, if you're listening on the web, uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon to you. My name is Julian Gibb, and you are listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. And today we are blessed to have a very special interviewee. Uh, his name is Bob Moffitt, and uh, Bob has organized, he has uh, founded a number of Christian organizations that operate around the world seeking to assist, to disciple people, to live out God's great commission uh, and the great commandment to love their neighbor as themselves and to make disciples. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yes. Well, uh, for those who tune in regularly, you'll know that uh, you either you either listening to Bob speak, or, or you end up with me. So today you have both of us together. Now, Bob, let's just jump straight into it. I know um, reading your book, uh, If Jesus Were Mayor, that um, you, know, you had a bit of an adventurous streak within you when you were young. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and about this adventurous streak this, that, that's within you. Well, um, I grew up um, in a Baptist church in Los Angeles where my dad was a pastor. And um, uh, we were a very mission-oriented church, saw lots of missionaries come through uh, and minister to us, and they stayed in our home often. And I, um, from the smallest uh, boy of myself that I can remember, I wanted to be a missionary. But when I, I got ready for that stage in my life, I thought, you know, why don't I look at missions from the outside and, um, and rather than from the inside? Uh, I thought that would be an important perspective. So I joined the Peace Corps hmm. and I served um, a couple of years in Malawi as a teacher. And at the conclusion of that time, I, I wanted to see missions um, from uh, directly. And so I got on a motorcycle, began to travel through Africa, then finally ended up in Europe and bought a little two-cylinder Citroen <laughs> and traveled from Western Europe to India, where the car finally fell apart. And, uh, <laughs> and as I was traveling, I took my Ur tape recorder and did extens- extensive interviews with a lot of missionaries on the field. Came back to the States, went to seminary, and have been involved in um, in 
the gospel ministry, uh, uh, specifically in the in the area of cross cultural missions, mm. since that time in the late sixties. So, uh, when you were out traveling on your motorbike in the the Citroen, um, what did you see? What did you learn? What changed you on the trip? Well, I saw several things. Um, one was uh, that. Western missionaries um, often had unintentionally been cultural colonialists Mm. uh, along with the proclamation of the gospel. And they had started some wonderful ministries like hospitals and schools, seminaries. uh, And the the believers, the national believers, had uh, come to the point where they were ready to take over. But the missionaries were very often reluctant to let go of, of responsibility. Mm. And, um, and, and that created some real tension that hindered the gospel. Another thing that I saw um, was that um, many of the missionaries spent a lot less time in front of God in, in prayer, in intercessory prayer, than I thought was needed. And even according to their own um, um, recommendations, I would start off by saying, um, how important is prayer, you know, to, to your ministry? And then I would, uh, uh, they would, they would often tell me it's number one. Mm. And then I would say, how much time do you personally spend alone with God on a daily basis? And I won't tell you the number because it's really disappointing, ah. but I was shocked um, at the small amount of time um, that that um, uh, our missionaries were spending before God in 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 prayer, and um, having been a missionary um, or someone who's been involved in missions all of my life, I recognize that. Wow, mm. I don't spend the time that I thought was needed. So you know, with them, I agree. That our connection, you know, before the throne uh, on a regular basis is really crucial to how God, um, uh, uh, that time prepares us for being his hands and feet, you Mm. know, in the world. Mm. And, but I've also come to realize over the years that, that prayer, um, like Brother Lawrence, is more a state of, um, of being in God's presence, no matter what we do or what we're doing, but that we can be in prayer always. Mm. And uh, toward the latter part of my life, I've, I've really tried to practice that and to understand that, that um, prayer is not only the time in the closet Mm. where I spend, you know, alone with the Lord and, but it's also a part of a lifestyle. So, uh, you know, because prayer is, can often be very difficult. You know, it seems, uh, I guess, spiritual forces, our own will, you know, to be sovereign, you know, to not give over to the Lord, uh, finding anything that will keep us too busy to do it, you know, uh, or just, right. just good old-fashioned right. fatigue. Um, so what, what um, you know, the... Obviously, a bad question is, well, how much prayer do you need? You know, because that's a, it's just a bad question. But what what tips can you give us 
about improving our prayer life. You know, obviously not not the not the not the quantity, but the quality, the actual entering into conversation with the Lord. You know, what what have you learned from uh, Brother Lawrence? You know, so I mean, I understand that you. Um, well, I'm putting words into your mouth, but you know, whether you are uh, praying on your knees or whether you are shopping at Safeways. You know, you can be in prayer, in communion, in contact with the Lord. But what what tips can you give uh, me and those listening um, about how to improve their prayer life, how to draw closer to Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I, I think it's just being conscious of the fact that you're always in God's presence. There's never a time when you can hide from him. He's always there, and he's always wanting to be in relationship with you. And that consciousness causes you, uh, causes me to be um, aware of the fact that I'm in conversation with him. I'm wa- when I walk down the aisle at Safeway, I, I'm walking with him. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times, you know, when I ignore that to my detriment. Um, but you know, that's the goal is to just be always conscious of the fact that I'm with, I'm with him Mm, and he's with me. And if, if we live in that conscious state, we're aware of his presence and it's easy to talk to him as though you're walking, he's, you know, physically walking down the aisle with you. I suppose like any relationship, you know, with a, with a wife or a child or, or your best friend, uh, if you don't take the time to, to be with them, to, to talk, to be in their presence, you know, that, that, that relationship grows apart. The communication right. weakens. Yes, and, right. And, uh, w- w- would you, so I was going to say, would you say that's the same with, with the Lord? You know, it's uh, the, the, the more time you spend with him, the more you know about him. Uh, not intellectual, yeah, and and the, and the and the more you're you're listening, listening mm. to what he has to say. Sometimes when I'm praying, I feel like the Lord is saying, "Shut up! I want to say something." <laughs> <laughs> something to say to you, <laughs> but you're not listening. <laughs> you're talking. And uh, th- this is a question I was going to ask later, but it fits in now. You know, do do you find from your prayer life that that gives you the ability? Uh, both mentally and uh, intellectually, to do what he's calling you to do? Does, does does the prayer give you power to do God's will? Yeah, it's not the prayer. It's him. Right. It's right. his spirit, you right. know, which, you know, the, the more we listen, the more we allow him to speak into our lives, um, the more his spirit gives us the strength mm. to to do his will. And sometimes you don't know his will and you're, you're listening and you're saying, God, God, show me your will. I, 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 and, you know, it's like Thor saying, right. I will if you be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I will if you just listen. I, I want to speak. Um, and are, are there opportunities where, because <clears throat> uh, I've heard some people like, well, I'm not going to start until I hear a clear, clear word from the Lord, you know, until I a hand points out the sky and points at me and I hear an audible voice. I'm not going. So um, is there some time where you, you prayerfully consider what you perceive the Lord's 
calling you to do and then do it and then allow him to guide you, uh, redirect you along the way? Yeah, I, I think that that adage, which we're all familiar with, is that you you can't steer a parked car ah. uh, applies here. Mm. And, you know, it, unless you're moving mm. and God's not going to let you move contrary to his will, but we need to be moving. Mm. Um, and um, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean you stop. Right. It means you continue to live the way he's called you to live and um, and and do what this program is all about is, you know, being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people um, that you encounter, whether it's a family member or a neighbor or somebody at work or somebody in the store. Mm. Um, unless we're moving, the spirit is not um, able to direct us. So right. we need to be moving. And I don't think, well, and, and this could be a part of my personality, um, is that, you know, I, I, I'm an activist by who God made me to be. Mm. And um, and so uh, to stop, stop, as in parking the car, mm. um, is uh, not something that I naturally do. Right. Um and there are times when we need to to really uh, stop and listen to what God is saying, but that doesn't mean to stop living, right? And stop being Jesus' hands and feet, right? Right. You know, I guess as well when the car's parked, you know, you haven't got any m- momentum going either as well. So you know, exactly, right. So it, it's always good to 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 keep going and prayerfully keep going and allow God God to direct. But uh, Bob, you know, your, your your father was a pastor in a church in L.A. You know, uh, I remember you telling me that, you know, when you when you came home from uh, school or wherever, you know, you you never knew, uh, you know, who you would find in the front room. You know, your, your father would bring people back all the time and uh, care for homeless people and so forth. Uh, and you, <clears throat> you quote your father as being your hero. Uh, so clearly he was a, you know, a great guy living out the gospel. Uh, you yourself uh, were in love with Jesus Christ, um, but you hated the church, quote unquote. And so, so what's well, that all about? Yeah, well, um, no, I loved the church growing up. I really did, and it was it was a place of fellowship, fun, relationship, and you know all the things that I would imagine a church should be. When I came home uh, to go to seminary. After my travels, and, and uh, I, uh, I went to Denver and was enrolled in seminary there. But I, I got involved in a young life effort to reach out to delinquent kids in the city of Denver. Mm. And, um, and one of the things I quickly realized that was what these kids needed most was a coping adult to love them, mm. to walk alongside them, to build a relationship with them. And, of course, being a Christian and having grown up in a church, I knew exactly where to go to find those people, the church. So uh, I was given an opportunity to speak to our denomination's churches in the Denver area. And for two years, you know, on a, a very often, almost weekly basis, 
I would be given the pulpit or an opportunity in a class mm. um, um, to share about the opportunity to be Jesus in the life of one of these uh, kids, often uh, very poor, often from uh, broken families, often from families of um, uh, ethnic minority in our city. And this was in in the late 60s when our cities were burning. Mm. So it was a it was a difficult time, um, you know, socially, you know, within our country. But, you know, I would preach my heart out and say, we will train you. We'll walk with you as you as you, you know, give yourself to one of these kids. And Julian, in two years of doing this, mm-hmm. only some of the what were called rebel kids of the pastors and church leaders volunteered. Ah. And I couldn't believe that. I thought, come on, I know you, you're my people. Mm. I grew up with you. I grew up among you. This is God's call. And nobody was willing to sacrifice. Looking back, I understand why. This was a really difficult time in our culture. You know, there was racial tension. Cities were burning. People were being killed. Sounds familiar. And, and Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, and so I got to the point where I... I literally, it was a progressive, progressive journey, but I got to the point where I couldn't stand church people. Mm. They were my brothers and sisters. And yet here was the opportunity to be Jesus in, in the lives of kids that desperately needed them. And out of fear, out of whatever, I don't know, there were very few. So what? It was actually, it was. It was non-believing university kids who really came forward, mm. mm-hmm. and uh, and and we teamed over the time that I was there twelve years. We we teamed up um, over five thousand kids with one-to-one relationships. Wow, which made a big difference in the lives of many of those kids and their families, no doubt. So. So yes. five thousand. I mean, right. that that's like the the loaves and the bread. You know, a few yeah. having a big right. yield, and so oh, that that that's incredible. And so, I mean, that that's quite an uh, indictment against um, the church. You know, uh, of part of which I, I am. You know, of uh, that it was university uh, uh, non-believing university students who would um, uh, the ones who joined you. But so. What I want to ask you um, is ha- what 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 happened then. So, uh, but I've got I've got someone waving something at me, and so <laughs> <laughs> you were listening to the Kingdom and its stories. Thank you for joining us. Perhaps you're just uh, flicking through the radio stations or on the web. Uh, welcome. We're here to uh, talk about how we can serve as Jesus's hands and feet, and I have uh, uh, Doctor Bob Moffat in uh, with me today. And Bob has just been sharing about how. Uh, he was raised uh, in a Christian as a Christian, and uh, however, he saw a great need in his society helping uh, children, youth rather, in uh, L.A. Uh, and yet, he couldn't get anyone in the church to help him. So, so Bob, back to you. You know, so so you've had this experience. Um, how did you get to the point where you are now? 
where you're seeking to uh, from Los Angeles with a couple of people. Uh, how are you now at a, a point where you've set up a number of organizations uh, to go out and uh, to reach um, people around the world? What 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 was the burning desire? What was what was your what was the mission that God had given you? I, I think you know to put it you know succinctly. Uh, it was a growing awareness of the fact that we needed to disciple God's people to be Jesus' hands and feet. And so the ministry that I lead right now, um, the Harvest Foundation and others that I've co-founded, the purpose, one of the main purposes of Harvest and DNA is to equip God's people to recognize that their primary calling is to be a witness by being Jesus' hands and feet. Mm. I mean, you know, in our evangelical tradition, you know, we think of witness as verbal proclamation, which certainly includes that. Mm. But that outside of the demonstration of God's compassionate love and mercy through us, to others in the community uh, doesn't have much lasting impact. People may be born again, but many of them don't go beyond that because we don't recognize that the priority that God has given us is to bear witness through obedience by loving God. And the way we demonstrate our love for God is by loving our neighbor. That's the primary way we demonstrate our love for God is to love our neighbor. And, um, and, and that's more than just talking that's doing. And so, you know, in harvest, we, you know, a tagline that I use for harvest is we disciple church leaders to disciple their people to demonstrate God's love through sacrificial service in their communities with their own resources. So, uh, odd question that's coming up, but, um, you know, Bob, you've, you've got a PhD. Uh, you've got a house in California. You have a wonderful wife. You have great kids. Uh, why, why bother with the sacrifice stuff? Why not just, you know, you're saved by Jesus Christ. He died for your sins on the cross. Uh, why not head off to the beach and uh, lay back and enjoy enjoy your life? Why why why, why strive out and uh, sacrifice? Well, the short answer to that is it would be it would be full on disobedience to do that. Uh, Paul says in Philippians two that we should have the same mind. We should be um, we should reflect the image of God, and that image is in one of the first creeds of the church which we find in Philippians 2, mm. which is, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that even though, and this is a paraphrase, even though he was in the privileged position, house, you know, his father being God, you know, he was God himself. <laughs> um, in spite of that, he was obedient. He came to earth and he served. And he served humbly he served sacrificially, and we are to do the same. Mm. You know, 
let this mind be in you. Let this character be reflected in you, which was also in Jesus. Who was he? He was a servant. Mm. He was a obedient servant, a humble servant, a sacrificial servant. And, um, and so if we are going to be like Jesus, we can't sit on the beach. We can't just enjoy the things that God blesses us with. We have to sacrificially serve. That's, a, that's not only an invitation, that is a command. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's not good enough to just, you know, enjoy the privileged place God has put you. Now, ending on a high, uh, or the whole thing's been a high, but what I mean is um, for the lazy part within me that's saying like, oh, that sounds scary. This sacrifice sort of puts just scary images into my mind. But I'm thinking of Eric Liddell. It is scary, but it's exciting. Well, there we go. You know, and Eric Liddell spoke about how, um, you know, who obviously died on the mission field in China. But he said he... When he ran, he felt God's pleasure. When he served God, he felt God's pleasure. And Absolutely, that, yes. And that that gave him an abundance of uh, of life. You know, Jesus speaks about life, living life in an abundance. You know, and that we can live a life for ourselves, but it's often sort of a gray element. But again, I'm having someone wave the hand at me, uh, which means I'm talking too much. So, uh, Bob, we're going to have to have you back. Um, My friends, you have been listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today, as I say, we're blessed to have uh, Bob Moffat. Find more about us on harvestfoundation.org. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.